Hi, I'm Nina Starner. And I am Abraham Josephine Reisman, but you can call me Josie. And this is One of the Girls, a podcast about pop culture, girlhood, and the way the two intersect. Yes. Oh boy, today. Today we are back, baby. We are After a long hiatus and a lost episode drop, we have returned. We have returned. Um, And today we are talking about uh, an iconic... Uh, for better or worse in the culture, female-led movie, and mm-hmm. that is Ghostbusters, parentheses, 2016. The Directed reboot. by Paul Feig. Paul Feig, yes. yes. Starring yes. many wonderful ladies. And boy, was this one a controversial topic back in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Josie, you're the one who brought this one as yes. like a good candidate for the podcast. So why... Why did you want to come back with this one before Absolutely. we get into the I will of it? tell you the 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 dumb reason is I was <laughs> at a screening uh at my local movie theater of what is it? The Boy and the Heron, the new oh, Miyazaki. Phenomenally the Mi- beautiful movie. So good. Yeah. I loved that. But one of the previews, because it's a kids movie, mm-hmm. The Boy and the Heron, or rated for kids, sure. you get a lot of stuff that's targeted at kids in the yeah. trailers. And they had an ad for a movie I had not seen a trailer for and actually did not even know was happening, which is Ghostbusters colon Frozen (laughs) Empire, which is the sequel to the reboot of the reboot of Ghostbusters. Basically, very long story short, (laughs) after this female-led reboot in 2016... Uh, a few, a couple of years ago, they released Ghostbusters Afterlife, which has well, and nothing Jason to do Reitman's with, helming that. Yes, right? Jason yeah. Reitman, Ivan Reitman's child is mm-hmm. uh, is helming these sequels, and they are direct sequels to the original Ghostbusters uh, duology, you know, which essentially two. leaves the female-led reboot in a kind of like ether where it yeah, doesn't, it doesn't like, matter count. anymore. They completely yeah. wrote it out of the franchise. It right. doesn't now. In in I, not their defense, but I guess the logic there is the female-led Ghostbusters also jettisoned the previous continuity. There are plenty of homages and echoes, but it's not in any way set in that continuity. No, Bill Murray is there movies. playing a different character. And right. Dan, Dan Aykroyd, Aykroyd is there. has a cameo right. as a cab driver. You and know, Ernie Hudson uh, shows up at the very, very end, you know. Well, yes, I, yeah. I will. I One of the many things to recommend the 2016 Ghostbusters reboot is that Winston, as played by Ernie Hudson, finally, literally gets the last word. Yes. The, Ernie yeah. Hudson, the Ghostbuster who comes in after the original three have formed the group in the original um, you get to see uh, Winston finally get his due. Yes. Uh, although he's playing, he's I guess he's playing a different character, but still having yeah, Ernie he's the Hudson, uncle of Leslie Jones, the Patty. uncle of Leslie yeah. Jones, right? Yes. So yes. Anywho, it's it's a really fascinating movie, and I I before we go any further, I feel like we should put out there mm-hmm. that there is a fascinating fact about this movie that will change the way you see it. Now, a lot of people saw this movie when it was in theaters and walked out, even people who were very pro the idea of a female-led mm-hmm. Ghostbusters. That would include they walked me, out, actually. Right, including I, myself, actually. I was very yeah. much in favor of it. Right. Um, and I walked out of that theater going, eh, it was okay. Like, I, I watched there were parts it on I, a streaming rental, and I unfortunately watched it with um, an idiot straight man that I was trying to impress. Right. And... Right. 
I decided that I would um, ride his dumb train of thought right. and be like, that was stupid. Yeah. Being heterosexual right. I mean, is a, a curse people- and existence is a prison, but go on. Yeah. Yes, we all agree <laughs> on that. But um, what's interesting here is the version that's currently available um, on all streaming platforms and on DVD Blu-ray is an extended cut with 17 minutes of additional scenes. And I hadn't seen that extended cut until I watched to prep for this. Now, my spouse and I, we watched Ghostbusters 2016 together. And throughout, I was like, this movie is delightful. I must have just not appreciated it because I hadn't transitioned. I wasn't a woman yet. Now, I think Mm -hmm. that is a big factor, and we'll discuss that. There's a lot of stuff in there that even in the theatrical cut, I think I didn't fully get because I wasn't looking at it from a female perspective. But I think the bigger factor is the 17 additional minutes are great. Like, there's a lot of really... There's a huge plot hole that gets fixed. There's a lot of character development. And I'm excited for you to kind of promote this extended version because I somehow managed through a very, very legal server thing to find (laughs) not the extended version. Like, I probably watched the only, like, version of Ghostbusters 2016 that does not include those 17 minutes. So for the first time in our podcast's relatively brief history, we did not technically watch the same movie. Watch the same movie. That's correct. So I am very excited for you to, to speak on this and kind of educate me and anyone listening, like, about why these 17 minutes really make this movie. Because I still had a great time, but I want to hear more about like how I could have had an even more amazing time. I'll give you the quick rundown of the five five scenes that get added. This is according to Wikipedia, so I'm guessing (laughs) this is the case. Yeah, let's let's Um, hope it's right. (laughs) There's a scene where Kristen Wiig's character, Aaron, is ridiculed as a, quote, ghost girl, which is the nickname that she had as a child, on the street which leads to her punching the bully. And now what the Wikipedia entry doesn't mention, the bully, who is a very funny Chris Gethard, we love Chris Gethard. Love Chris Gethard. Very funny guy. He plays this like, quote unquote, amateur journalist who's like (laughs) holding up a phone and recording video of him confronting the Ghostbusters and going like, Oh, uh, Aaron, aren't you, you know, weren't you uh, obsessed with ghosts as a child? So who, what's it all about, ghost girl? And like, I love very, that that's uh, his sick burn is ghost girl. Like that's well, the meanest like she, thing he can like. <laughs> well, he, he, he's quoting the, that he oh, learned from his, I see. from her friends. Well, even that, like her, her middle school bullies couldn't come up with anything better. Right. Like, I know. Well, weak. it's a, <laughs> but it, 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 in the context of the movie, if you take it for granted that she yeah. finds it insulting and it was a yeah, real source of trauma absolutely. for her. It's a really interesting scene that really gives her a lot of power that shows um, the kinds of ridicule that women often get uh, where it's infantilizing. You know, if you're trying to be a professional, people will look for things that make you look either slutty or infantile. And that's so interesting because I want to focus on Kristen Wiig's character, Erin, for one moment. Oh, please. is so... She's a great character. And her growth in this movie is so fascinating because to speak to the infantilization of Erin, like right from the jump, no one takes her seriously. Even before she gets back into the realm of the supernatural and ghosts, like no one cares about what she has to say in academia. Everybody disrespects her. And she... I love Kristen Wiig as uh, the straight man in a given situation. I think that oh, she absolutely. is actually best utilized when she's not being like the wacky target lady. As much as I love like some of her, you know, classic characters, 
Like no, the, she works much better as somebody great, who's naturally. Yeah, she's naturally funny. Yeah. So you're going to laugh kind of no matter what she's like saying. Like the dry wit really comes through and right, you get to but, see a dialed back kind of. Well, along yeah. those lines, there are a few scenes. I should have said not the five scenes, the five sort of scene categories, because mm-hmm. I'm not even sure the specific ones. I'm just reading these lists. This yeah. list. But there are scenes that is that establish much more. And I can't remember which ones, but Aaron wants recognition in the scientific community. That's Chris yeah. Wiggs' character. And... There, there. I remember in watching this extended cut, I, I can't again. I don't know which specific moments it were, was, but seeing that character development in the mm. extended cut, I was much more compelled by yeah. Kristen Wiig's character. Yeah, who I, I liked when I first saw it. Yeah, but w- they really give her a full fledged arc where she starts out as this academic right. who is trying to make it as a serious, uh, I believe it was, was it physicist? I can't even remember now. Yeah, it's yeah. Sort of hand-waved science a bit. Science mumbo-jumbo, yeah. Science mumbo-jumbo, yeah. I think it was physics. But um, she's trying to make it uh, as an academic at Columbia. Josie, we're not STEM girlies. Respect to the STEM we're girlies, not STEM but we girlies. are not STEM girlies. Very yeah. humanities. <laughs> um, as was, I think, everybody who made this movie. Yeah, uh, exactly. Not very, Katie not Dippold hard, and Paul Feig are not STEM girlies either. Hard, yeah. hard, not hard science fiction. Um, but you get to see this arc where she starts as somebody who's trying to be taken seriously mm-hmm. in somebody else's world and by yeah. somebody else's standards. And then she gets roped back into her past, which yeah. was ghost hunting right. that she did with this friend uh, who is played by uh, Melissa oh McCarthy. God. Sorry, we have to go back. I just almost said Michelle McCarthy. Oh, we can't <laughs> even keep that in. I want people to know that I'm a complete no, moron. No, we're, we're not. We're not editing that because Michelle McCarthy is out. a great I almost said Michelle McCarthy because I was watching first season of True Detective and think about Michelle Monaghan. But anyway, I'm Melissa usually McCarthy, thinking about Michelle Monaghan to be absolutely fair. So she's you know, a wonderful actor. But she's fantastic. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> so Melissa McCarthy plays her friend Abby, who yeah. has also become a scientist of much less repute. Yes, um, and is working with uh, Kate McKinnon's character, who is this wacky, perfect character named Jillian Holtzman. Yes. Absolute queen. And eventually they link up with Leslie Jones, who plays this former MTA MTA employee employee. named Patty, who has an encyclopedic knowledge of New York and the underground of New York. And Aaron remains the, although there are other characters you might like more, Aaron is the the core of the movie. Absolutely. She's the core of the movie. And in, she's the only one who really has like a full journey because everybody else is kind of there to a little bit, I think, aid in Aaron's journey, in my opinion. Yeah, Because sure, Abby is the fine. link to her past and Winnie allows her to kind of explore like a stranger side and then like... You mean also, uh, Jillian? You mean Holtzman? Ju- yes, yes, Holtzman. I always yeah, think her fine. name is Winnie. Eh, we're that's both fine. making everyone name just mistakes call, Everyone here. just calls her Holtzman, so let's right. just stick with that. And yeah. I call her the woman of my dreams. Um, but Yes, she's yeah. fantastic. Well, and I think that everybody is there to kind of help Aaron become like self-actualized in a way. And yes. I don't really mind that the other characters are there to prop up Aaron and help her figure out how to be like her best self. Because right. I also think, and we've talked about this a little bit in advance of this recording, but I want to kind of get more into it, which is, the use of Melissa McCarthy, not just in this film, but in the Paul Feig oeuvre. And I know that we've the discussed... The Paul feig yes. Yes, and I know we've kind of discussed maybe exploring more, more Feig projects and, yeah. you know, stay Very tuned. Very possible, but, yes. But Melissa McCarthy is expertly deployed in all of his films, and it's the same in this one where she is 
Maybe she's a little out there. Maybe she's a little weird. But she's the smartest person in any given room. She knows what's Either up. Either her or Aaron. Either her, her or, or Aaron. Aaron. Yeah, this is kind of but like maybe Aaron, the but- only one where she like has a match in that regard because... Mm-hmm. I would say in Spy, or I guess the Heat as well. But like in Bridesmaids, when you find out she's got the nuclear codes and six houses, and she's like... She's just a level up above everybody. Right, she's just so far above anyone else in that sphere. Right, Um, right. And, you know, it's just... I love that Paul Feig trusts that Melissa McCarthy is a really, really intelligent actor. You have to be smart to do comedy. I always think about, I mean, she has such a great list of performances. And I mean, she was also amazing in Can You Ever Forgive Me in her, you know, major dramatic turn. But a a performance that I think about kind of a lot is her first turn as Sean Spicer on Saturday Night Live. And oh the God, reason I, don't I even bring, remember that. Tell the me. The reason I bring that up is she doesn't do anything but stand behind a podium. She doesn't do any wacky physical comedy. That's before they started kind of bringing props into it. And right, her first right. appearance, she just captivates the audience so fully by doing nothing physically. It's just the strength of her yeah. impression and performance and the absurdity yeah. flowing out of her mouth. And she is that powerful and that smart of a performer that she Absolutely. can hold a, a room captive because she is just so good at what she does. And, and they don't play yeah. they don't play her as gross in this one. No. That's the thing no. I really like because even in Feig movies, Melissa mm-hmm. McCarthy is often played for some degree of gross out humor. Or right. at least this woman is very much outside the realm of conventional femininity. Mm-hmm. What I love about her in this, they don't really establish anyone's direct sexuality. Like Holtzman is strongly implied to be Holtzman at least is bisexual, <laughs> if not like a straight up lesbian. Right. Um, but because <laughs> well, Holtzman is played by Kate McKinnon, who like, I mean, we we talked about Barbie last season. Like right. Kate McKinnon brings the like sapphic energy to everything that she does. Everything I'm that she does. Literally, never mad about it. I'm obsessed with it. No, actually. no, I love it. Yeah. But um, but Abby is more ambiguous. Yeah. Like. My headcanon is that Abby, the Melissa McCarthy character, is definitely gay. Like, definitely a lesbian. Do you think and she's in love with Aaron? I think she's semi-in love with Aaron, but like many friendships between women mm-hmm. where one of one of them is a lesbian. And Aaron right. is terminally straight. Unless she has some major revelation, that is her. I love that there's a movie where her fatal flaw is that she's straight. Like... Her fatal Girl, flaw is she loves I men. She's too yeah. into men. It's very well, and relatable. And she's too into, and I'm sure we're going to get into the himbo Hemsworth oh, turn, Hemsworth. which is so good. But yeah, she's obsessed with him. And all the rest of the women are like, why are you even what speaking is with you? to this man? Like, right. And she what is terrible, wrong with you? Yeah. She has like terrible taste or at least radar for men. Like there's the, her, her, her initial boyfriend is, uh, I read as, uh, as closeted gay. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember how many of the uh, original scene, how many scenes in the, do you remember much about the the first boyfriend? Was yeah, he in much by, of this theatrical uh, he's cut? He's played by Andy from Weeds. He's like barely in it. He's not supportive Interesting. of her. Interesting. They, yeah. they put more of him into uh, the extended cut and they have this very interesting relationship. Can you remind where, me of the actor's name? Right. Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Justin Kirk. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It took me two seconds there. I know you did not watch Succession, but he just had like this masterful turn. Right. I know. But as a fashy, yeah. Um, Justin Kirk for me will always be Prior Walter in Angels in America. God, he has had such a long career. He also really quickly because I have to promote this show whenever I can was on a standout episode of You're the Worst called LCD Sound System. Yeah, yeah. Um, where he 
Yeah. Perfect episode. Go watch it if you haven't. But, Justin Kirk's a terrific actor yeah. and he plays this boyfriend who's very fashionable, mm-hmm. doesn't want to kiss her with the mouth open <laughs> and sort of looks the other way embarrassedly when she gets fired. Right. And I, I read it as he's one of those closeted queens who's been closeted so long and has made it so far in the cis male hetero he's world. Just, he's just this way now. Like, he's he just, just like this way and yeah. a horrible misogynist because he has all of this buried <laughs> anger at women right. from having to date them. Um, but like, you know, you see Aaron have this real fixation on men mm-hmm. and everybody else is totally uninterested in them. Like Patty, yeah. Leslie Jones's character is like, sort like she looks actually at the boyfriend. Maybe the scene wasn't in um, the theatrical cut, but while Aaron is talking to her now ex-boyfriend, because he comes to try and like get her attention, right? Um, Patty has this whole monologue where she's standing next to Abby mm-hmm. and looking at the boyfriend and just going, ooh, I bet he's a good dancer. Like, I bet he dances <laughs> like this. And they just do this like goofy ad lib thing where Incredible. Leslie's dancing the, and Abby's like, nah, I think he dances more like this. And it's sort of like, right. it's very funny, but it's not, it's not lustful. It's much more just... They're, they're just dunking on him. They're just kind of dunking on him. Let, you know, Patty's kind of like, I bet he dances really well. Mm-hmm. And Abby's like, he dances poorly. I've seen him. Right. And it's just, it's this interesting little moment where they're talking about a man, but it sure doesn't feel like, I mean, the movie obviously doesn't violate the Bechdel test, but that scene <laughs> doesn't. Because even though they're talking about a man, they're sort of talking about him the way they'd talk about a cartoon character they were watching. Or like a zoo or animal like, or something. Yeah, right. a, a, yeah. A, an adorable pet. Yeah. And that's, that's so funny. It's and Well, let me get back to the other scenes because there's yeah, the, that were deleted because there's a few that are relevant to this conversation. Um, there are additional scenes to flesh out the background of the villain of the movie, Rowan. Interesting, okay. And why he wanted to unleash the ghosts. So there is this big bad who is this, uh, again, I can't even remember what's in the theatrical cut, but in the extended cut, they established very much that Rowan is this sort of men's rights activist type guy. Fabulous, You know, Played by Neil Casey, I should say. Neil Casey, the great comic actor. Very good in this. He plays this just sort of shitty guy who is in a, you know, an abused place in the workforce. He's this janitor at a hotel. Yeah, I like a pretty rundown hotel, too. A rundown hotel that has, like, nothing's working. Yeah. And he's let his resentment fuel him to, I mean, none of this is, like, terribly psychologically elaborate, but as far as action movie metaphors go, I was happy with the way they set him up in the extended cut, where, like, his whole deal is that he, much like the women of the Ghostbusters has been shat on and insulted his whole life. And his answer to that is, well, let's, you know, fuck life. Let's just destroy everything. As opposed to, there's a great scene, maybe it's in the theatrical gut, where they go to confront him and he says, do you know what it's like to have, you know, be laughed at all the time? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, we do. Right. (laughs) Like, of right. course we do. We're women like, trying to make it in a professional such, world. That is it's such this a real perfect me- yeah, encapsulation, it's a encapsulation of everything. Of yeah. how the, the incel men, MRAs tend to think. Mm-hmm. They're like, don't you know my pain? And it's like, what if you opened up your mind to the fact that we're all in pain for similar reasons? And right. we could maybe make the world better Right, together. we're experiencing a slightly different version of what you are that has yeah. so much in common, but you're not looking outside of your very narrow no. worldview. Yeah. And all he wants to do is just blow everything up. 
Right. There's also a great little line where he just, I can't remember exactly how he says it, but he's doing the ramble about what's going to happen in his apocalypse sure, scenario. Sure, the, the, the villain r- ramble, yeah. Right, <laughs> and he does the villain ramble and he goes like, soon thousands of ghosts will be revealed, most of them dudes. And then, and like, just keeps going. <laughs> Incredible, incredible. Yeah. I, I, yeah, so, I mean, it's so funny because, like, this movie speaks directly to the people that hate it, I think, in a very, in a very yes. strong way. Like, oh, and I yeah. think, I think it, it, it's, it's, there was a recent situation where, I don't know if you watched the film May, December, uh, which is Tommy's. I did not. I heard good things about it's it. It's phenomenal, but it's, you yeah. know, it's a very searing look at kind of how Hollywood takes real traumatizing stories and, and you know, makes them into content. And it didn't get nominated for like, it got nominated for one Oscar for its screenplay. None of the performances yeah. got nominated. And everybody is like, oh, it's because it, it read the Academy to absolute filth. And I yeah. think the reason yeah. I bring that up is I feel like people saw this movie and they were like, I am in this photo and I don't like it. And yeah, I think and you're they completely saw, right. Like the critique of them being like, I don't want a lady Ghostbusters. Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, yeah. God forbid women have a Ghostbusters movie. Like, what is that actually doing? What to does anyone it mean? In the world? I know who like, cares. Shut up. Like, you know, I was, I keep bringing so many things into it, but, you know, Seth Myers was doing a closer look and he was talking about people complaining about Taylor Swift on the NFL camera. And yeah. he was like, why do you care? And I feel like yelling, yeah. why do you care at a bunch of mad dudes is kind of like my and many women's kind of default setting, right? You're just well, like, why and do you give a shit? And this really, this didn't invent the wars online that oh. presaged Trump. Absolutely Because that not. really gets forged in Gamergate a couple of years before this gets released. Right. But boy, did this catch the wave of those radicalized yeah. Gamergate <laughs> assholes online. Yeah. And the movie does directly address that. Like by the time, just from the announcement, people were yeah. upset. So right. making the movie, they had a lot of opportunities to add in stuff that comments on that reaction. You know, they have like at one point, one of the videos of the, the in-universe Ghostbusters mm-hmm. goes up on YouTube and they go to look at the comments. And the first comment that Melissa McCarthy reads is, ain't no bitches going to catch no ghosts. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> She, her line right. delivery of it is very funny. I can't recreate it. It's like, nobody, no yeah, bitches. nobody can match yeah, that. Very woman. funny. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but the point is, like, right from that moment, and then throughout the film, they're going, they're they're lifting the finger, the middle finger, double yeah. words at everybody who would criticize this movie on the facile basis that they don't like a women led Ghostbusters. Exactly. And I'm sure that was a huge factor in its underperformance and its right. eventual getting of the kibosh in the form of this new re-reboot. You well, know, and I, I think, think you're right that a lot more of more and more yeah. relevant with each passing year. You know, this movie came Absolutely. out in 2016 before Donald Trump took office. And yeah. the the just a few injury, months, but like right. it was in the midst of that. Right. And the misogyny and rampant sexism that infects, yeah. you know, American culture and the world's culture has only gotten worse and worse and worse under, you know, the leadership of a man who made it okay to say all the bad, quiet thoughts out loud that, you know, a lot of people harbor. Mm -hmm. And I think that watching this movie is like, for me, watch revisiting it without a dude next to me on my couch who, again, I want to say is one of the dumbest fucking people I've ever met in my life. So taking his opinion seriously (laughs) was a mistake on so many levels if you're listening to this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, like I, I mean, who, who among us has not tried to impress a, 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 a possible romantic interest by being like, yeah, I thought that was stupid too. Yeah, Dumb. sure. Um, but you know, it watching it with more of a clear vision of like that this is what women face every day. It's something that I also thought about a lot while watching this movie is I have a book 
um, by Rebecca Solnit called Men Explain Things to Me. I'm making eye contact oh, yeah, with it on my, on my bookshelf right now. And the yes. opening chapter is her talking to some guy and he's like, oh, did you read this book about, I have no recollection of what it's about. Yeah. And he's explaining the book to her and she's like, after like 15 minutes, she's like, yeah, I wrote it. Like right. I literally wrote that right. book and you're right. telling me about it. And I felt like that, this is almost that energy the, is what is here. very present in Ghostbusters 2016. And I something that we should probably bring fold into this is that I also watched the original Ghostbusters again. Oh, to I did too in advance for this. this. Oh boy. Yeah, and there's actually something really crucial that I want to bring in, and it's the endings Please. of both films, but I think we can have a larger discussion about the original mm-hmm. compared. So at the ending of the original Ghostbusters, they're hailed as like heroes and they're basically like, you know, they're the the favorite people in New York, right? And at mm. the end of the female-led Ghostbusters, the Andy Garcia's mayor and his attache Cecily Strong, another great human being, um, they're, they basically tell the female Ghostbusters, we want you to keep doing what you're doing, but we have to pretend that you're insane and discredit you. Right. And you have right. to do what we want you to do, but you have to do it in secret. And what a do, difference yeah. between yeah. those two endings. That is so wild to me that yeah. that in the female-led reboot, I mean, and I think that was a really smart call on Feeb's part to really drive home the point that yeah. like nobody, it's that photo from Arrested Development where Job and the other magicians have the sign that says we demand to be taken seriously. Taken like seriously, that yeah. is the fucking thesis statement of this movie. And watching yeah, them basically seriously. back to back, I was like, oh my God. Wow, like he he got it right in the most painful way possible. But let's yeah, let's let's revisit. I mean, I, yeah, I would love while. to revisit Ghostbusters nineteen eighty four. I texted you 19... during it, and I was like, serious question: Was Bill Murray ever hot? <laughs> like, yeah, who are we well, because <laughs> I'm looking he, at this man and I'm like, I'm not. I don't want to sleep with Bill Murray, but this well, beautiful young the... co-ed is batting her eyes at him, and I'm oh, confused. Um, I really, I, I have to say, I've seen Ghostbusters nineteen eighty four. Mm-hmm. more than almost any other movie most of those times when i was a child yeah my, definitely watched my it as a kid a lot yeah my household there were like two vhs's that we watched more than any others and they were young frankenstein and the first ghostbusters my father loved both of those movies incredible and incredible loved picks. watching them with yeah. yeah well like he was they were good picks for kids mm-hmm. and they were good picks for their era i don't yeah. really blame my father but like Young Frankenstein holds up. I watched that a few years ago. I was going to say, I grew up in a very Mel Brooksian household. Young Frankenstein actually holds up. It is not problematic. It's very good. Whereas Ghostbusters 84, man, what a weird, often repulsive movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bill Murray is sort of the problem in this movie. He was -hmm. was the solution at the time because he ad-libbed most of his lines and everybody thought he was very funny and charming. Yeah. Uh, and if he hadn't done that, it may not have succeeded because the original pitch for Ghostbusters from Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis was right. much Please more of a straight... Yeah. yeah, it was much more of a straightforward action movie. Because you have to remember, Dan Aykroyd really does believe in ghosts. Like, yeah, Dan he's Aykroyd got a lot of a, woo-woo going on. Yeah, yeah he, lo- he believes in aliens. He has Crystal yeah. Skull vodka based mm-hmm. on the allegedly sure alien-created Crystal Skull. So... Um, good for him. Aykroyd, yeah. Right. Good for him. Totally harmless. But he yeah. really believes in the supernatural and right. wanted to make a, a more straight ahead action movie with jokes in it right. about uh, fighting ghosts. And Bill Murray and, rolls in and he's like, no, this is silly business. Yeah. Bill Murray yeah. famously, infamously saw the script and was like, well, I'm not going to say any of this for my character. I'm only going to oh do God. this if you'll let me improvise. 
So he improvised, and there's a lot of stuff that maybe is, maybe it's still funny, but I've seen it so many times that I can't even find any of his jokes funny, really. And most importantly, this is the first time I watched Ghostbusters 84 since I transitioned and have been yeah. in the girl mindset. Yeah. And watching it this time, I was like, God, what a fucking date rapist. Like, that character... Uh-huh is really, I'm not saying this as like, a, you know, everything from the past should be exactly the way it is in the present by present standards. But even sure. by 84 standards, like, I guess in movies, that sort of thing was okay. Yeah, we've got a borderline Revenge of the Nerds situation going on where like a lot of, right. you know, like the stuff in that movie, even by that time standards, you were like, really? You put that You're in like, a movie? Really? It's the, I mean, we already had the women's liberation movement and right. lots of years of feminism. Why are we still doing this depiction of like? And maybe this and is a hot take. Sh- maybe it's spicy. Maybe it's lukewarm. I don't know. But like, what a waste of Sigourney Weaver, in my opinion. I like, know. Like She's she spends sh- the whole movie zooled up, and like, I just am yeah. Like, Whereas her, not the whole movie, the earlier parts, she's great in the earlier parts. Yeah. She gets the lampshade how awful Peter Venkman, Bill Murray's character is. She gets to go like, you are, you're not like a scientist. You're more like a game show host, you know, (laughs) which my dad always thought was very. some very sick burns. And I do appreciate. You know, you, yeah, yeah, you are so odd. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, they lampshade it, but it's still kind of distasteful to watch now. I'm not saying, yeah. again, I'm not even saying it so much on a political level. It's just on an aesthetics and erotics level. I find it absolutely not compelling that the two of them would end up together. I, he's yeah, just sort the, of a sexual predator to I her. don't buy the romance between them at all. It's really no. inorganic. He basically just bullies her into it. Like every yeah. scene before she's possessed, as you bring up, like he's basically yeah. just like, we're going to date, we're going to date. And she's like, I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah. And I, you know, that whole trope of like the man not taking no for an answer, like very Ugh. common. And then being We've definitely the And being rewarded with the the, the prize of, of woman. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that is such a large part of pop culture. And we've yeah, been that's reevaluating a whole separate it. problem. But, exactly. Yeah. But it just like at the end when they were like together, I was like, I don't buy this at all. Like it was just such like if they had not had a romance subplot and she had just like been there and then been possessed and then been unpossessed, I would have been like, okay, fine. And yeah. I think that the 2016 version, if we can, because in the 2016 version, I think it's important to note that the possessed person is Chris Hemsworth's himbo. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Um, and Very interesting reversal. Another yes. classically beautiful actor like uh-huh. Sparney Weaver, yeah. who is in the position of having their body violated. Yeah, he's now, kind it's of weird. It's he's weird kind of a combo Sigour- of Annie Potts and Sigourney Weaver because he's hired right. as the receptionist. He doesn't. I mean, he is also like kind of a God, quiet. I was gonna say, like, he quietly steals this entire movie. We've gotten a little bit of like a Kennergy situation, in my opinion, because like, yeah, some of the scenes that stick out most to me is like when he holds up the two headshots and he's like. Which one is better? Like, and he's shirtless in both of them. And he's like, is it me looking at a saxophone or me playing a saxophone? And I'm like, no, he says, which one makes me look more like a doctor? Oh, (laughs) and it's like, one's him shirtless playing the saxophone, (laughs) one is shirtless not playing the saxophone. He's like, which one makes me look more like a doctor? And you're like, he's so funny. He's just, and and watching him like escape the shackles of the MCU before they let Thor be funny and like just be funny. I was like, yes, more of this, please. And um, be the he, most Australian man. Like, they don't yeah. make him do a British accent or anything. No, he's just no. the most Australian man you've ever met. And even when he gets possessed, he's just, like, making people do silly dances. Like, he's just so, like, Oh, that's another thing harmless. that was deleted. There were a bunch of dancing scenes in yeah. that climax. 
like I just seen clips of that like on like social and stuff. Like it's so that, good. Yeah, it's, the dancing scene where he makes the cops and the soldiers dance is just so lovely, and it yeah. really and I I loved Hemsworth in this. Because, yeah, it, you have this interesting reversal where, mm-hmm. look, it's a comedy and they're not trying to hit this home, but he does essentially get raped. Like his body mm-hmm. is taken over by yeah. a malevolent force that means him harm. Right. And that's what happens to Sigourney Weaver and Rick right. Moranis in the original. Right. But right. Sigourney Weaver is the one we dwell on in the, the original, and it's kind of effed up. Like Really we, quickly, I totally forgot Rick Moranis was even in this movie. And it was like, not a bad jump scare, but I was like, oh my God, you're You mean here? in 84? Yeah. In the 84 Ghostbusters? I yeah. I forgot he was in it. I don't know how Never forget. that erased it's from my brain. It's one of his brain. iconic roles. Yeah. Yeah, because Little Tully. Shop is one of my favorite, like, just properties in the whole wide sure, world. Sure, I love sure, Little yeah. Shop. But like, I, you know, and he's he's not acting anymore, and, and go with God, I love him. But like, I... Yeah. I just totally forgot about him. And I was like, oh, yay. I'm glad you're here. He's a delightful addition to that movie. But, you know, and actually now that I think about it, Rowan, the villain in 2016, is kind of a riff on Lewis. Yeah, he definitely shares some DNA because he's like... That sort of incel resentment, sad little man who... But, but the thing be- is, Lewis Tully doesn't take it out on anybody, really. No, I mean, he gets but, possessed, but that's different. But it's interesting because, obviously, Paul Feig had the you know advantage of making his Ghostbusters in a very different time when we yeah. are actually saying incel out loud and we're actually acknowledging that there are men who are yeah, just... But as of 2016, it was still kind of dicey. Yeah. Like, now we talk about it, but there were a yeah. lot of people in positions of power who were afraid really denying to take the off presence the of that. Yeah. Yeah, but he, I think Fig, and again, we may discuss him soon, but I do want to bring up that I think that he is a very, like, despite being like a cisgendered man. He's we won't really, hold it against him that he's no, a No, no, and you know what? He is impeccably tailored, and I love that for him. He is, he's yes. like a Savile Row suit wearing dapper, dapper man. Um, yeah. But I I really respect his entire body of work because I think that he is really good at capturing like the female experience and he works with a lot of, he works with McCarthy a lot. He works with a lot of female screenwriters. He works with a lot of, um, just, he's really, he's a really smart director when it comes to women's stories. I mean, his Absolutely, big movies yes. are Bridesmaids, Spy, The Heat, A Simple Favor. All of these are yeah. female mm-hmm. story freaks and geeks. Mm-hmm has a lot of future male actors, but it is focused on a girl. And, on a girl. Yeah. and mm-hmm. so like, mm-hmm. or future famous male actors, I should say. But you know, it, it's it's so interesting to me that he was able to harness this, this thing that we were going to then really talk about in way more depth of like these, these angry little men in the corners of society going, well, I want to blow yeah. it all up as you perfectly yeah. put it earlier. Mm-hmm. But, and then he also... I mean, speaking of the Hemsworth of it all, it's such a female gaze situation. Like, he really... Oh, yeah. He really plays up the fact that Chris Hemsworth is, like, this genetically blessed, beautiful mm. human being. and Grew like him in a vat to be right, handsome, you know? Right, And, like, yeah, I mean, between all their kids, the Hemsworth parents must just high-five every single day. Like, are, are you kidding? <laughs> Look at these men. Like, shut up. But... No, and, and they really, he like the, lets the camera really linger on like his abs and his face. And I'm just like, this is so funny to me because this is yeah. truly like for, it's for the girls, but it's also it's like. It's for the dolls, man. It's for the girls. Yeah, and, exactly. And that, and it's such a benign movie in terms of like being a female centric reboot right. of like it's this a, classic. It's, it's like, and people got so fucking mad about it. And I yeah. think a lot of it is just like, again, reading the audience for filth, but also like. 
just objectifying Chris Hemsworth in this really delightful, also pretty harmless way because he's in yeah. on the joke. You know, Hemsworth is also yeah. playing up that he's like Very this fabulously so. like, good looking person. Whereas I don't think that that same privilege was afforded to Sigourney Weaver. I think no, she was, she's not in on the joke that no. the camera is lingering on her body. No, no, no. And that <sighs> turn is what makes this movie so good. And like, you know, I don't want to go on record and be like, this is the definitive. Go- I mean, maybe I do. Who knows? But I, do I want to play I think with it's fire the best. today. I think, the, I think the extended cut of Ghostbusters 2016 is the best Ghostbusters has ever been. And I've seen a lot of Ghostbusters. I was a Ghostbusters obsessive as a kid, like young kid. But yeah, I, I, I had the exposure. This brings me to actually back to the initial question you asked, which yeah, is please. why are we talking about this? I saw The Boy and His Heron and they had an ad for Frozen Empire, mm-hmm. this sequel. And I just thought, my God, we have a whole generation of men who are convinced that Ghostbusters was really elaborate, serious mythology and not a comedy. Right. That, like, the mythology, I'm not saying the mythology can't be interesting. I really like the mythology in the first movie. Sure. But that's not the reason people came to see Ghostbusters. No. They it's came a to funny, see Ghostb- silly lark of a comedy. Like, yeah, it's a lark of a comedy. It's an action yeah. comedy. And Ghostbusters 2 kind of forgot that and is just a bad movie for a lot of reasons. And Yeah, I haven't I, I seen, haven't, like, a lot of the original 80s sequels. I've seen the original. There's like, only one. 80s. It oh, was just, just it Ghostbusters was, 2. Okay. Yeah, it was Ghostbusters 2. And Ghostbusters 2 is not very good. It has some memorable moments, but it's not a good movie. Pretty right. much everybody will agree on that. Sure. What people are... At least millennials. Xers right. and boomers, I can't speak to. But millennial men, the ones who are obsessive about the Ghostbusters movies and are like, yeah, this new afterlife and Frozen Empire, that's the real stuff. It's honoring the mythology. Jesus. Those are people who grew up watching the cartoon. Mm. Do you recall, you might have been too young. But there was, an eight, there was like a I cartoon was. that ran for like eight seasons called yeah. The Real Ghostbusters. I should Which, also be clear, like this, that was not marketed to me. I was watching. No, like, you're not. A, you were not a little boy. So they were no. not trying to get you to watch the real Ghostbusters. No. I was probably they reading sure American Diaries me. and watching Lizzie McGuire or something. Right. Like, they wanted me to watch it. Now, again, right. I'm a little older than you. And I think that was part of it because it ended its run mm-hmm. when you were still pretty young. But yet it's a show for young kids. Sure. And the sure. thing is, the cartoon is wonderful. Cartoon yeah. is delightful. But it's even there. It's a comedy that a lot of people watched and because they're so young, they didn't realize it was supposed to be funny. Okay. And they have held on to this idea that Ghostbusters is fundamentally like a cool, spooky, serial adventure story when it's just, you saw a comedy and especially the cartoon when you were a kid Mm -hmm. and you didn't realize it was a comedy. There's no shame in that. Sure. When you're a kid, you can't necessarily distinguish between stuff that's horror comedy and just horror or action comedy and just action. But the Mm -hmm. goal of media literacy, I think, is that you grow up and you realize certain things were intended as comedies. And the serious mythology parts are just there to support the funny. And Afterlife and Frozen Empire have completely jettisoned that. I haven't even seen them, but I've read plenty about them. At least the first one, which is out. They turned it into a very serious solemn action type of thing that like honors mythology 
And it's like, fuck that. What are you doing? You can't yeah, like, turn why everything into that. we need a gritty that. reboot of Ghostbusters? Of like, Ghostbusters. It's not even gritty because it's like kid friendly, but dark somehow. Well, you've got like, like some Stranger Things kids in there. You've got, Right. You and know, you have like a kid <laughs> named Podcast who has a podcast. It's like the dumbest That's, thing you've ever Is that real? About. Yeah, there's a kid named Podcast who, whose defining trait is they have a podcast. That's I can't remember if they're non-binary or there's another non-binary. There's another kid who's non-binary, but like it's all dumb gimmicks trying to reach out to Zoomers. I don't even know if it's working. Maybe it is. Well, but, but it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Just from a, an optic standpoint, that like yes, Paul Feig is as we mentioned, and we will forgive him as this male man. Um, yeah. But it's very Jason interesting. Reitman. To, yeah. Well, Jason Reitman like had to swoop in and I don't know air quotes rescue the series and and it's like and at this point it's just an Ouroboros right it's just a snake just gnawing on its own tail we've we've there's no new stuff coming in no 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 no. we've drifted so far from like the goofy silly Peter Venkman Ghostbusters right you know origin and now yeah we have these like Ghostbusters frozen after whatever I'm not gonna watch any of these I'm not gonna watch any of them because no, I don't, but a lot of people are excited about, about it. Yeah, but it's like it's a it's another franchise thing that reminds you of a childhood cartoon. This is right. also my theory about the MCU. Millennials fell for the MCU not because they read comic books, but because they watched the X Men and Spider Man cartoons when mm-hmm. they were growing up and the Marvel Action Hour. I really think you can never underestimate the degree to which children's cartoons have an impact on contemporary and well, nostalgia toys. as well. I mean, anyone who yeah, watched the original yeah. Star Wars films as a kid then went into the sequels, which I'm not saying are good movies. They're largely not. But like yeah. the J.J. The Abrams led, you know, yeah. like they were like, they took it so seriously. And it was like, yes. it's a- There it's were a, some jokes, but for the most Star part- It's like chill. It's a Star like, War. As a side note, uh, right after Ghostbusters, I was, uh, you know, during my crazy week and a half, mm-hmm. um, I watched this amazing set of cuts of Star Wars, the original trilogy- that were uh, from a Swedish film print. Okay. Uh, film prints of the original run uh, of the three movies. They were just stored in some closet somewhere. They were like rotting. And somebody saved them and digitized them. So you can watch the movies as you would have seen them at like a second or third run theater. Ooh, and That's so you cool. see the original cuts. There's no changes. And also you see with all of the like fuzziness and the yeah. pops and flashes. Right. And it's it completely restores the magic of Star Wars because it's not trying to be what yeah. you're talking about. It's not trying to be, oh, we are hard sci-fi. We are serious stuff. No. I mean, there's the, serious the elements of Star Wars. The original Star Wars movies are fun. There are serious but elements, but there's fun. fun. Like, I right. fondly remember, like, I, my cousin was so into Star Wars and she got me into, she had, like, cardboard cutouts of Leia and Vader in her room. And I she brought me all of the originals on VHS and I would watch them over and over and over yeah. again. Like, I'm a re... As, especially as a kid, I would obsessively rewatch stuff. Like every day, I would sure. just put on the same movie. Sure, and why not? Those movies were fun, and they're fun, especially when you're a kid. And I think, you know, I don't want to get too into the weeds on like this that fandom because I I like you know not getting yelled at in public. But yeah, no I think that it suffers from a lot of the same syndrome that Ghostbusters did, where it's like it, it, you got to stop taking it as like this, as serious. I'm not saying like, don't take it seriously serious at all. Text, yeah, but you but can't like, it's take not, it as dreadfully seriously no. as people do. And you are sucking the fun out of the endeavor. And I think that right. maybe the greatest crime to bring it back to Ghostbusters 2016 that that movie Please. committed in people's eyes is that it was just fun. 
did not yeah. take itself too seriously. No, it's it did a, not take itself it's seriously. A good and like that's the thing. I, you know, people were like, "It's bad," and I was like, "Okay, qu- qualify that." You know, because right. I think what the jokes mean? are solid. I think that like yeah. the movie's funny. I think it's an enjoyable watch, and I just don't. The crime it committed is it didn't like take this mythos and be like in the dark. I don't know. I, I you no, know. I don't know. No, what they I didn't. Would it was about. much more. But like it was using it as a v- using a lot of the tropes and right. the ideas. Like a ghost remixing. puking on Kristen Wiig is funny. It's right. funny. They took took ideas from the original, yeah. remixed them until it was a completely new thing. Right. And then yeah, said well the point of Ghostbusters is to make you laugh a- along with making you feel thrilled. So we're gonna have some thrill. Right. Well, for me, the big thing that was post-transition about seeing it this time was I realized the ultimate most important point of this movie, the reason this movie has to exist and the reason it is essential. And that is never before had we gotten to see a major blockbuster action movie where four very different women who are pals shoot laser guns all at the same time. Yeah. When yeah. has that ever happened? It's something men are just used to. Uh-huh. That you get to see like four well-defined or a group of well-defined male characters shoot laser guns all at once. You're well, and you're you, lucky if you get one girl in there shooting. I was going to say guns. by that by that like train of thought which I love. Um that really pandering shot in Avengers Endgame of like oh god of all the women together let's go girls um, let's go you know, girls I was expecting like a Ganging Shania a riff spoon. over it right I and know so, I know but, but like Ghostbusters yeah. did that not that they did what that was trying to do and they did it yeah. correctly right because <laughs> Marvel cause they had were not like, actually right well, Marvel, Marvel had never assembled these characters into a group no. before this was this craven little moment that's like, let's toss you a crumb and be happy. Whereas well, and then the movie- only original female Avenger, first of all, I mean, really quickly, too well, egregious. Had been killed in the previous She was killed because she doesn't have a family. She was yeah, called a monster because yeah. she couldn't have babies. And then have she kids. only got a standalone movie after the character was dead. Yay. Yeah. Um, and, and so, was, yeah, yeah but like COVID. the Ghostbusters 2016, right, and it was buried during COVID and led to a fucking lawsuit. Um, yeah. But... No, it's, it's but so interesting. 2016. Yeah. Well, it goes, to, I mean, Feig and everybody involved in the movie mm-hmm. goes way out of their way. We were saying the movie doesn't take itself seriously. I, that's true to an extent, but it takes the character relationships very seriously. Right. It realizes that the only way this works is if it's funny, thrilling, and like the original Ghostbusters, has well-defined characters that bounce off of each other in an mm-hmm. interesting way. And the core Ghostbusters plus Chris Hemsworth are a fucking great comedy chemistry machine. They are. They, I mean, McCarthy and Wig uh, had worked together in Bridesmaids, and they sure, get like the their scene together at the end when Wig's Annie is like at her lowest point is kind of like the thesis statement of the movie, where Melissa McCarthy yeah. is kind of shows up with her nine puppies, and she's like, "Get your shit together! Like, right. get off the couch and take a shower and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, stop mm-hmm. doing whatever you're doing." And right. so we, we knew they worked well together. We knew you could bring McKinnon into it because she and Wig were on SNL. We knew you could bring Leslie Jones. I mean, th- I think all four really, of them were really all yeah. four of them were SNL veterans. Even if Melissa's never been a cast member, she she's basically a honorary. Times. Yeah, and right. And so she's, it's four four SNL veterans right. who are really good at that shit. Right, and who again, their chemistry is really really excellent. And I I want to bring you know up 
I just brought up bridesmaids, but with the exception yeah. of a simple favor, which is a very twisted take on female friendship yeah. in a delightful way. A sure. lot of Feig's movies have this through line of like, you have to depend on the the women in your life. Like you have yeah. to, you have to reach yeah. out a hand and go, Hey, I need your help. I mean, you said that spy is like not for you. And I love that movie, but like Melissa McCarthy is a very, very, turns out to be such a capable spy, but she needs her like goofy friend to help right. her in her mission because like she does need some assistance. And the yeah. bond of that friendship is, is a major through line of the movie. And, well, and it's know, very and it, different from the message of a lot of like MCU style movies, yeah. which are be a hero, be right. a singular hero. Whereas this is like a lot of this movie is really devoted to the fact that like Abby and Aaron were best friends and Aaron has distanced herself from Abby to look more respectable. Mm -hmm. And like the the re the re-engineering and like reunion of these two people is what A brings the group together, but is like that's the love story of this movie. It's not oh, absolutely. Hemsworth it's not and about Wig. No. It is Abby and Aaron. Whether or not I agree with you that Abby is coded queer, and I think you know there's a part of her that's probably has feelings for Aaron. Yeah. But I but like the movie doesn't get into the weeds of that at all, no, and it just is all. like these are best friends, and they need to like in yes. order to save everybody, they don't need to be a hero. They need to realize why they are best friends and work yeah. together with these two other women that give them power that that make them the best versions of themselves. And like I wish that we were at a place at least in 2016 where we could have a female-led action movie where four people get to shoot laser guns and it goes a little deeper than just that. But right. that is so rare to even get that. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. This was a real pioneering movie. I mean, I was talking about True Detective season one. I was watching because mm -hmm. I'm watching season four. So good. Have you been watching? Yeah. Oh, it's I, so yeah. good. It's excellent. Yeah. It's really good. And it makes me think a lot about this because mm -hmm. right now you had... Uh, you have True Detective, which, similarly to Ghostbusters, is poison ground when it comes to misogyny. Like, the original ground and foundation of both True Detective and Ghostbusters yeah. is very misogynist. Mm -hmm. And yet, in both Ghostbusters 2016 and True Detective Night Country, you have women entering and taking over the franchise, for the yeah. most part. yeah. And well, I mean, not just in front really of the camera. Well. You have Isa Say, Lopez, not just in front of the camera. You have no, Issa Lopez as the, the showrunner. It's Absolutely. a fully kind of feminized... Much as Kate Di yeah. and Katie Dippold mm. co-wrote exactly. Ghostbusters 2016, exactly. we should obviously mention. Yes. But yeah, you put women behind the camera and in front of the camera, and different things happen. It becomes a much different kind of story. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that it's like more feminine or like it's got a woman's touch. You just get different kinds of stories. And right. even, and again, even if it's something as simple as it's basically the same story, except it's for women shooting the laser guns, that matters in it today's does. economy and aesthetic economy. It yeah, really climate, matters yeah. to have, <laughs> yeah, to have a, a movie that does that. And we're still behind the ball on that. Like, it's no, still we are. so rare to see this shit. And it's interesting because you, I mean, I, I don't know like the full details of this, but I know that like Nick Pitts, a lot of the original yeah, uh, True oh Detective God. show I, I was heard complaining was about my country. Shade, but I, didn't yeah. I couldn't even find a comment, so I, I'm, I'm just, not going to comment on that. No, but, like, but I mean, that's even an issue that's being discussed. Like, I saw it as yeah. a headline on Vulture, and I think I was like, I don't need that energy. Oh, well, Vulture right reported now. it, maybe it happened. I was yeah, trying it, to find the Twitter. The trouble is these days, with Twitter being a garbage site now, uh, you can't yeah. find where the beef is starting, you know? No, Instagram no. isn't very searchable. 
No, but no, it's interesting anyway. the, the way that these are received though, because Night Country is getting like very positive reviews. Yeah, because it's different. It's, it's very di- the yeah, world is it's really a well. Bit. It's really well done. I mean, and again, like you you bring up that it's led by two women, and it's not even that it's like led. I mean, it is. It's led by Jodie Foster and Callie Reese, but no. and Issa Lopez, but the stories within it, like the search for a female activist, the struggle of Jodie Foster raising her stepdaughter who is native and indigenous and wants to connect with her culture. Like it's a, it's more about female stories and it's centering them more than any iteration of true. I mean, the first season of true detective is, well, you remember, I always think of true detective as the Kroll show bit dead girl town. You know, that was, Right, but I mean, the women one. in that in that are Michelle oh, Monaghan and Alexander Daddario, and they're both just sex portrayed toys, as like nags and sluts. Yeah, and it was and just like awful. Wallet is a great you know performance showcase for her Harrelson and McConaughey. Like it's really sexist, and we can just say it's it. It's really fine. gutter sexist. We try. I tried watching the first episode of season one, mm-hmm. which I watched season one obsessively when it came out. Yeah, same. A decade I ago, it live. exactly yeah. a decade ago. Because mm-hmm. I was on staff at Vulture and everybody mm-hmm. was watching it in the TV. It was huge. It was a sense. It was part of the McConaissance. It was a big deal. It was part of the McConaissance. It was a big deal. I remember finding it thrilling, but not really loving it. And rewatching mm-hmm. it now, especially as a woman, I was like, "This is just garbage." Like, yeah. not only is it not is it misogynist, it's just not interesting. Like, it's just a dull boilerplate story. Whereas something like Night Country or something like Ghostbusters twenty sixteen. It really is as simple as once you have it be a bunch of women, that alone changes a lot. And then you have tokenizing these women. It's not going see. Yeah, no, it's, it's not it's going. Just, Look, we gave you a woman. It's let's put women in positions of power, creative power. Yeah, and a lot of them, and not just one. And the story and happens the, organically, and it happens in a way that is in, genuinely interesting. Not the let's go girls attempted no. feminism of Marvel. It's legitimate. It's genuine, and it's real. Mm, and that's why Ghostbusters yeah. twenty sixteen is so important. And it paved the I way really for love in it. a weird. It's amazing that we were able to connect it to Night Country. I'm glad that you brought that up because it there is that through line of yeah. like uh, content poison created. soil that a flower grew out of. Yeah, you know? we the earth was not totally salted. Like things could no, grow again. It was it, yeah. There's and and you mentioned Cecily Strong, but I was sneezing when you mentioned her. <laughs> I just want to really briefly say, Cecily, I don't think you're listening to this, but if you are, I'd like you to remember that we went to high school together and I'm Hell a big yeah. fan of yours. We both went to Oak Park and River Forest High School. Amazing. We overlapped for a year before she, I, I can't remember if she dropped out or transferred, but she left before her senior year. And uh, my best friend got to kiss her in a play. <gasps> and I know, can you imagine? I, I, I truly cannot. I mean, I know. Cecily, she was a, if you she, are listening to this, your Janine Pirro rendition of My Way, where you <laughs> climbed into the bathtub of wine, it lives rent-free in my brain. Thank you for that gift. She's she's a, she's an unbelievably gifted performer. Also, Schmigadoon was canceled too soon. Justice for Schmigadoon. Yes, I'm told yeah. her, her memoir, I haven't been able to read her memoir because it's about largely the death of somebody that we both knew, and I'm just like not ready for that yet. Understandable. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like largely about her year or so of grappling with the death of this person we both knew. And I'm like, oh, boy. But I really admire her and yeah. just wanted to give a shout out to And Cecily. she has a great supporting turn. In, like, oh, she's so good in this. SNL, she plays, you know, veterans. She's the, you know, the aide to she plays mayor the, she Andy plays Garcia. She plays the aide, the sort of the, the, the mind of mm-hmm. Andy Garcia's mayor. And she plays like the perfect parody yeah. of 
one of those Democratic operatives who's like, well, we just want to massage the message a little bit here. And like, you know, this could really cause a panic if we did it this way. And I was just like, you are nailing it. Like there are so many people I've interacted with in media and government like that character. And she's just so good at playing a Karen like, yeah. there's just nobody She's better. She's really, really good at playing, can I speak to the manager? She's excellent at it. Can I speak to the manager yeah. or you don't understand, don't you know who I am? You know, it's yeah, just... Yeah, the, the, the funny women in this movie are are used even... And I want to really... Because we should wrap up shortly, but I yes, want to really... We didn't really talk about Leslie Jones very much. And I do want to oh, say... Oh, I feel like an idiot. I'm sorry. She, oh, Leslie, no, she, she plays yeah. a really toned down... I think people associate yes. Leslie Jones with, like, yelling. And yeah, with this over-the-top thing. Yeah, she plays Which a really... she's very good at. She's, I mean, her, watching her talk about, like, Game of Thrones and the Olympics, like, she's so funny. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, um, but that's not all she can do. No, and she played, like, a really, like, calmer character than people normally task her with playing. Like, Patty is, like, pretty, just kind of, like, what she's she's kind of the the inquisitive voice because she's new yeah. to ghost hunting and she's curious but she's not the, dismissive. She's the voice of reason, often. right? She's right. the one who's like more down to earth and not a ghost hunter like right. the three others. And she she's so good in this movie. She's so ex- again. Feig knows how to expertly deploy these actors. He has given all and of to them defy the great, expectations you have about exactly them. exactly because right. you think of. Wig and Jones in particular as these really over the top like character actors character actors and they're both really good <clears throat> at taking it back and dialing it back and being the straight man and that's I mean Leslie Jones is is such a great supporting player in this movie I also think that she is unfortunately such a lightning rod for for men who I don't know, who hate for women awful people and I think I that know. that was a, that was also like a, a, was a big you know a sticking yeah. point for this film and you know what? Uh, if you don't like Leslie Jones because you haven't dealt with your internalized misogyny, uh, fuck, go and fuck racism. yourself. Yeah, and racism. Go fuck yourself because she's really and good transphobia. She gets hit with stuff where it's like she looks like a man, and you're like, you, really, we're going to throw transphobia in on top of all of yeah, this? Yeah, let's like, just let's just sprinkle a little you know, transgender sprinkles Jimmy's on top. But yeah, yeah why not? Transphobic, but yeah, so. Fuck you if you don't like Leslie Jones. She's perfect in this movie. She's great in this movie. And I know we did talk about her, but we didn't talk enough about Holtzman and Kate McKinnon. Mm. Just in these final moments, I want to say- Yeah, Holtzman walked so Weird Barbie could do the splits. I think I I texted you that. Yeah. Yes. uh, So Weird Barbie could run. Absolutely. (laughs) I, I really absolutely love Kate McKinnon's performance in this. And I've never seen a performance- be more attractive to all women regardless of sexual orientation. One million percent. Like we talked every we, woman I knew saw like the trailer for this movie. Mm-hmm. Not even the movie and was like, I'm in love with Holtzman with Kate McKinnon. Yeah, I want her to hit me with a car. Um Yeah. She's so good in this. Yeah, I love her. No, and and you know Feig does this again with Blake Lively in a simple favor. Yeah. Where like yeah. parts of that movie have gotten me a little bit pregnant. And I'm like pretty criminally heterosexual. And I'm still just like, whoa. And I had the same experience with Holtzman. So it's it's so interesting because this is something that Feig really like plays with as he takes uh, yeah. a woman and he's like, let me just make her universally attractive. Well, doesn't yeah, matter. It, like, it doesn't require. Yeah. And it requires just letting them be weird and, and not also, weird in a stereotypical way. No. And I think it's not even... If I can take that and, and build on it really Run quickly. with it. Yeah, please. 
it's not even to me so much weird. It's letting that actor just work their charisma in a way that is so specific yep. to them. Because Kate, yep. Kate McKinnon has, again, she does it as weird Barbie, that like really sly kind of like, just oh, yeah. like making everything like vaguely sexual, but in like a very hot yeah. way. And then what he does with Blake Lively in A Simple Favor is she is so classically beautiful, but he lets her just be so fucking confident that you're like, wow, this is the hottest person who's ever walked the earth. Like, he just lets her tap into like, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm so hot. Look at my legs. Look at my long hair. Look at the suit that I'm wearing. You know, my sky high heels. And it's like, he lets both of these really different performers tap into just their essential animal charisma. And that's what makes them so like, you're like hot to everyone, right? Just, just hot, period. Um, So yeah. It's the confidence, the weirdness, the uniqueness, the all of it and you don't get to see women doing that very often no you just no. don't and i, I mean let women I asked, be weird little guys just let, let more women be, be wi- weird li- <laughs> let women be weird little guys it, that's a great place to end it i yeah. i always try to keep us under the hour mark and we yeah. just got slightly over but i don't think anyone's gonna complain no we're back we're celebrating it's our we're it's celebrating our, our return yes um, so josie where can where can good people find you if they want to hear your thoughts on anything from ghostbusters to the world of wrestling yeah, people both good and evil can find me on my website, which is josie.zone. That's mm-hmm. J-O-S-I-E dot Z-O-N-E. Uh, but you can also find me on Blue Sky if you use Blue Sky. Uh, I am josie.zone there as well. You can also find me on Instagram at Abraham Joseph. Mm-hmm. I'm trying, I always am trying to change that name, but Meta Facebook makes it so hard to change yeah, your made it really name difficult. on Instagram. I'm like, this is just fucking transphobic. Like, I yep. don't want to be going by this name anymore, but right. good luck. So anyway, you can find me uh, on the internet. Where can people find you, Nina? I'm still on Twitter. Um, oh, man. Well, you man, know what, oh, again, man. freelance writers, we we will stay no, on Twitter. No, you got to do what you got to do. I'm lucky that I've built a following on Blue yeah. Sky. But, like, if I hadn't built a following, I would probably still be... I tried to log into Blue Sky, and I don't remember my password. So, um, I'm on there, but... Oh, well, there I, goes that. So, no, I mean, I'll get it back, but, like, TBD on that. I'm I'm technically on it. Um, but, yeah, I'm on but Twitter. you're Nina That's, Starner. You're I'm Nina, Nina Starner on Twitter. That's where I'm yeah. most active. My Instagram is, like, pretty... It's, like, Nina, and I also would like to change that, but can't um, for different yeah. reasons. But yeah. my Instagram is mostly just photos of my dog. Um, Twitter is where I'm at my most active and most feral, so just... Mm. Hang out with me there. Um, I'm 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 not even a little bit hinged, and that's the fun of yes. it. So we have a lot of exciting thoughts and things that we are cooking up for this this we season iteration version. Out, yeah, but, right. We don't plan these out as much uh, in terms of our next episodes, but we like to keep you in suspense because we're yeah. in suspense too. I, we're thinking about turning this into a Paul Feig series. And doing I, bridesmaids I think, next, which I think would be a lot of fun. Yeah, and freaks I, we'll and discuss. geeks and freaks but, and yeah, geeks. There's, there's a lot more to explore there. There's a lot we'll of discuss, to borrow a yeah. phrase that you've said before. Fertile ground, there. I think fertile a lot ground of important in the Feig movies. Yes, completely so, agree. So, so maybe we, we'll do that. Yeah, we. But we, we're going to cook up some fun stuff. Is, is what yes, we're gonna you're going to love yeah. this season. I have yeah. no idea how long the season will be, but we're just going to keep going as long as we can. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>